when I start to work with a coach, the first question I ask them is, what's your relationship like with your coach? And they said, well, that's stupid because not every coach needs a coach. And I'm like, that's where we disagree. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today, I have the amazing Krista Fee with us. Krista is an international speaker, a corporate consultant, trainer, and trauma specialist, shattering the stigmas of mental health maintenance, developing bold strategies for reducing suicide, divorce, domestic violence, and addiction in frontline and first responder professions and families and ensuring the fallen are never forgotten, no matter their cause of death, through the nonprofit organization Battle to BE. I'm super excited to have Krista here. I've had the opportunity to connect with her and get to know her a little bit through a mastermind that we're in. And I see the passion that she has when she talks about these topics. And so many of them are so close to our hearts um, as business owners and entrepreneurs. So I'm really excited to bring her in, learn more about her and what she's doing and how she's changing the world. So um, before we do that, I just want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions. And if you are ready to reach that next level in your success, if you are finally ready to start accomplishing the life that you've always wanted and living it instead of just talking about it, then let's sit down and have a conversation. Without further ado, let's go ahead and have a conversation with Krista. Where did your passion for helping first responders come from? Did you come from a military family or did you serve yourself? I didn't actually come from military family, but my dad wanted more than anything in life to be military. He just, he had cancer and they wouldn't mm. take him. So as a young child, all I heard about was how important it was to serve your country and how proud he was to be American and how he had, you know, how disappointed he was that he couldn't do his service. So that's interesting. And did you serve or how did you get tied into the community? I have always been, I guess what we would call a, a contract person or an edge person. I have done everything except be a law enforcement <laughs> officer. Uh, I worked for DOD under contract to do investigations for human trafficking. So it, I've always been around and with the, my law enforcement family and my military family, but I never was technically a part of them. And what led to this investigation side of you? Like, did you always, I mean, did you just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to do um, investigations on missing kids or how did this path end up there for you? It's a kind of a long story, but life always leads one thing to another. So when I was little, I wanted to be a doctor. And 
in preparation for medical school, you have to do volunteer hours at mm. a hospital or some other in some other medical institution. I ended up in an emergency room at a Catholic learning hospital. And they are amazing if you ever have the opportunity because they let you do everything. They let you get involved in all these things that students really probably shouldn't be involved in. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to go on ride-alongs with the ambulances and I got to actually hands-on help people, you know, holding wounds closed and doing, doing the things that you would do. And we had an officer come in who had been shot one day and there was just something about the situation and the way that people were talking and I just realized in that moment that there was something about law enforcement that got into my heart and into my blood and I had to know more and I had to do more along along those lines so I started looking into what that would take and figured you know I've got medical background I'll be like a medical examiner or you know, go into investigations for uh, homicide, right? So the lighthearted stuff, right? right? Right. I've always been, I don't know, I've always been kind of obsessed with the things nobody else wants to do, doing mm -hmm. the work, that, the down and dirty stuff that nobody, nobody else wants to carry. For some reason, it never seemed so bad to me. It seemed necessary and important. So long story short, step by step by step. I kept shifting my education just a little bit in the direction. So I have my criminal justice bachelor's and I have a forensics bachelor's and um, I kind of played in, in neuroscience and psychology as electives in okay. that and met someone while I was researching becoming a police officer that was running a, a team for human trafficking investigation. And I thought, you know, oh, well, that sounds interesting. I can help them out. I went and volunteered a bunch of hours. And again, it was one of those dark places that people just can't handle. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to talk about it. And I was like, well, I can do this. I can handle this. I can carry this weight. So I started working with that team. And again, we lost an officer to suicide after a failed rescue attempt. And that was, that was the catalyst that was the pivotal moment when I went you know all this stuff that I know about mental health all this stuff that I'm learning about um, trauma and overcoming the wounds of, of child abuse and human trafficking and all of that stuff there's resources for those folks there's a ton of stuff out there for them never enough of course but the officers didn't have those resources they they couldn't talk about it they don't talk about it. It's still really taboo to say, you know, my, my work was hard today. I saw something today that I couldn't handle and to reach out and say, I need, I know I need help. And it, the door just swung wide open and that there was nothing else I could do. Like it just filled me with this huge desire that is unstoppable. I just know that's what I meant to do. So that's amazing. You said something that is super relatable and powerful, and that's that they're in a profession where they're not supposed to talk about the fact that, you know, we as, as humans would think, of course, the stuff that you see every day bothers you. You're human. It should bother you, right? If it didn't bother you, I'd be concerned. For some reason, 
well, I know the reason they're, they're trained that they need to be able to look past that stuff to be able to do their job. And unfortunately with that training comes this shield that they have to put up from emotion. So you can create all the resources in the world. How do you tell people that it's okay to take them? Shattering the stigma is a really big deal right now. And it actually starts with each other. It starts with every single officer and it start, it, it's not so much breaking it down with their supervisors and breaking it down with the community. It's literally breaking it down from the inside out that as a team, as they look at each other and their brothers and sisters in arms, that they realize that the warrior mentality doesn't have to be that way, that we support each other, that we can be there for each other and we are each other's best resource and that it is okay to admit it because we're all, every single person that does these jobs feels that every single person that's in these environments has effects of the trauma that they're experiencing. It's just normal and natural. And even though people who don't think that they're suffering with post-traumatic stress or occupational stress, it might get them five or 10 years later. So we're all struggling with the repercussions of those exposures it's normal and natural. So we need to start looking at it just the same way we look at going to the gym. It's part of maintenance. It's part of our job to keep our mental health healthy. So we wouldn't go to work without our uniform. We can't go to work without doing our mental maintenance exercises either. Um, how much progress do you think is being made in this area as far as people being, being willing to accept and step into the resources that are available? I think we're literally just beginning to even recognize what's happening. Post-traumatic stress has only been really recognized as even existing since shortly after World War II. And we didn't really know what it was, what was causing it, or how to handle it. Even still right now, if you look at the Veterans Administration, which is kind of the primary resource for investigating and studying and putting all the money into and resources into looking at this particular situation. Uh, there are two therapies that are, are considered effective. That's it. We do behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy or CPT, uh, two variations of really the same thing, and EMDR, which mm. is really aggressive it causes people to look their trauma right in the face and it works if you can get through it. But they're literally looking at the best possible scenario is usually about 40% improvement. So if we're looking at people whose lives are maybe going to get about 40% better at best case scenario, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. You know, it's I, and I don't know the answer to this. So I'm curious to have your feedback from somebody who's in it. There's so many nonprofits that exist about um, the families of people who have passed away. And, you know, the 22 people who commit suicide every day that are in law enforcement or um, first responders or military. And then we're having this conversation <clears throat> about, you know, your therapies and, and, um, your immersion type treatments that are harmful and sometimes successful. What steps do we get to take 
to prevent them from getting there in the first place. Like in a job, and and I, I'm asking this for a specific reason because business owners and entrepreneurs have a certain level of stress that's associated with their job, with carrying um, the weight of their clients on their shoulders. And while it's not running into a burning building where it's not getting shot at constantly. Our brain doesn't always understand the difference. So the trauma that is being experienced, you call it occupational trauma, which I think is incredibly um, aware. It's, it's important to be aware of that. How do we prevent people from getting to the point where they need these deep therapies in the first place? Like what are the steps that we can take? Oh, I love that you asked that. No one has ever asked that question. Um, I come from an approach of prevention, resilience, and recovery. I think it's very, very important that we address these situations pre-hire. Um, in my world, mm. that's like an, an understanding of what post-traumatic stress is, an understanding before you even take the job of what the statistics suggest your, your risk factors are, uh, and understanding that if you've had childhood traumatic events, you're more likely to have PTSD if you take one of these types of jobs. It comes from education and it comes from getting those resilience resources and exercises and habits in place before you even are struggling. Knowing how to breathe to calm your nervous system, knowing how to get grounded and present in the moment. All the things that every business owner needs every entrepreneur needs because they're all ways that we handle stress and trauma the best. So all of those small things, if they're in place ahead of time, you're prepared when you start seeing the small symptoms to recognize what's happening and to get ahead of it instead of waiting until your family and your career and your life is destroyed to say, okay, something's wrong. Yeah. Because so often they don't know something's wrong until it's so far gone that they've lost everything already. Yeah. Um, I've never heard anybody talk about this from a pre-hire approach before. And that's really interesting to me. Um, it's interesting to me in a lot of different ways because I was just doing a podcast interview earlier today where I told somebody that if you want to be in a career that you should go volunteer in that career so you can see what it's really like before you actually spend the time, resources, and energy committing a certain period of time to training and education for it. And I had never thought of it from a law enforcement background before of how many people have this utopic idea of what it's going to be like to be on the front lines, that they see the heroic side of it and want to be a part of that. And they're not exposed to the real unfortunate human psych psychology side of it until they're a statistic. Absolutely. I absolutely completely. Um, what do you think um, business owner. So I'm going to ask this question specifically related to what you do. And also it will relate to business owners as well. Um, and if at any point in time, you're like, I can't answer this publicly, that's fine. Just tell me. Um, because I, I don't want it to seem like I'm tearing anybody down. Um, where do you think that organizations that hire first responders can do better in, 
the periodic monitoring and the preventive after hire and before breakdown? That's actually the key point of everything that I'm trying to create. Um, the reason that I do consulting is because I go into organizations and I look at what they're doing now and without giving, you know, everything away, my <laughs> structure is, uh, based on all of those phases. So implementing, uh, informed consents and training ahead of time it, along with their, their hiring orientation, that's step one. And then we integrate instead of having a therapy on a therapist on site that often people won't use because they're afraid be, the therapist works for the organization and the therapist is a you know obviously going to report if you're saying that you're struggling with anything so they're afraid to see the therapist so we use um, much lighter resources first coaches and counselors and peer supports so you create systems that are in place that are mandatory weekly, you see your coach, you express whatever you want to express, you know, you talk about the stresses of raising your kids and, and all the normal daily life stuff, and you get tools and resources that you need to counter whatever's happening for you. So whatever stresses are in your life, you're dealing with them regularly, all the time. And every single person in your department is seeing their coach, or their counselor, or their peer support advisor, whatever it is that your department puts into place every single week. So nobody who sees you see someone is ever going to think anything of it. Nobody's going to judge mm -hmm. you because you went. There's not going to be any reports. There's not going to be anything crazy because we're just doing maintenance. So it's really restructuring the whole idea, reframing it to be something normal, something necessary, and something comfortable that everyone can live with. I think this is something that we all get to incorporate it into our own lives and business as well. Like you, you've talked about this um, on the show a little bit about not understanding when you see the early signs because you haven't prepared yourself for it. And I think that this is a stress response for every business owner, entrepreneur, mother, human being, whatever, where you're tired. Oh, I'm just tired. I just need more sleep. You're irritable. Oh, I'm just irritable. I just need, I need to take a break. I need, I need to do more. I haven't done enough today. That's why I'm tired. Whenever that became a thing was so ridiculous. I'm exhausted because I haven't done enough. What the actual hell is that? Right. Um, but we all then get to this point where, oh, I need to make a doctor's appointment for X, Y, and Z and find out that it's tied to the stress that we didn't take care of when we were tired. Right. Um, and when you mentioned, um, giving them advanced information of how to deal with things, how much more amazing would our lives and businesses be if we gave ourselves and our employees, this kind of advanced directive of, okay, when this happens and when you deal with this, this is how you get to respond to it. This is how you get to recover. These are your options. I feel like we just as humans don't do that enough. We don't. And statistically, if you look at how much post-traumatic stress in the normal, I mean, outside of first responders, how much that costs the United States. 
I believe, yeah. and, and I might get this wrong, it was either 381 million or 381 billion. Whatever it was, the number was absolutely astonishing. I'm yeah, either sure. one's a lot. And, and that's not including the cost of lost functionality and you know lost productivity and all of those kind of concepts. So it, I think like, that I think that we're just entering into a world where the term PTS can be used in something outside of a military or first responder environment. I think that um, in before it was something that was only used to describe people who had been in combat or had been on the front lines of something, forgetting that um, we all respond to things differently and that it's like this human response. Yeah, that's, that's a really big conversation right now too. So you have cycle that you have the psychotherapy version of what PTSD is that has a very strict structure of what you have to be experiencing to have post-traumatic stress. It has very specific requirements for what you have to have seen or experienced to have post-traumatic stress. But there's a lot of subtext there. There's a lot of terminology outside of that. There is sub-threshold occupational traumatic stress. There is sub-threshold, you know, traumatic stress. So we have, you know, we've, we have rape victims, we have crime victims, we have people who've been in car accidents with people who have suffered a major illness the loss of a child, a loved one. Um, trauma is so personal and so relative to our nervous system and our brain that, it, I mean, for one person losing a job might be traumatic stress enough to trigger symptoms that are detrimental. So I think we need to talk, as you say, I think we need to broaden the conversation outside of the psychotherapy diagnostic to what we all struggle with some level of traumatic um, reactivity for lack yeah. of a word. Yeah, absolutely. So you have your nonprofit organization battle to be um, in incorporated or Inc. Um, you're five years down the road in this. What does success look like for you in this nonprofit? Ooh, five years from now, uh, success looks like three long-term recovery centers. I want to create a place for people who are struggling with reintegration, coming, coming back from military service, or who are struggling to be safe and comfortable in their community, in their in in public, in their family, because of traumatic stress. And I want to do it specifically for those who are not struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, because there are some resource centers for that. But there's no, there's nothing for people who are struggling to that degree uh, to be safe in the normal public. Um, that addresses trauma and addresses the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And what can people listening who are resonating with what you're saying, what can they do to help support you to get to that five-year success goal? We are, of course, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. We are registered with the IRS. Everything has been approved. All donations are tax deductible. You can go to battle2b.org 
um, and it is B-A-T-T-L-E, the number two N-B-E. Um, and we can take donations for just the general fund, or you can actually choose where you want um, into which program of what we're doing. So we give you guys a lot of choice. Um, also, we are trying to change the way nonprofits do things. So we're bringing awareness to the fact that there's a lot of very large nonprofits who only two or three percent of what they bring in goes to their end users. Our long-term objective is to make sure that always, no matter what our team looks like, no matter what we're doing, that we put 80% of what comes in directly to our end users. So I don't know if it's possible, uh, but that is our goal. And we are going to be transparent on all of our, where our money goes, how we're using it, and what we're raising funds for at any given time. That's awesome. So for you, the nonprofit is obviously a big part of what you do and close to your heart. Um, nonprofits are not always self-sustainable um, forms of income. What? How else do you serve the world? I, of course, I do coaching. I do consulting for everyone who is struggling, uh, especially enjoy working with people. I don't know enjoy is the work. It is my heart's work to work with people who uh, are struggling with child abuse, coming out of human trafficking, domestic violence situations. Awesome. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. I ask every single guest on my podcast this question because I believe that we don't spend enough time focusing on our end game. We don't spend enough time focusing on where we want to go when we are in the everyday decision making of where we're going to spend our time. So for you, what does success mean to you? How do you define it individually? Mm, for myself or for my business? For yourself. For myself, success is feeling fulfilled is knowing without a doubt that I have done, dare I say, enough. Yes. <laughs> that I have changed systems and structures in a way that will live long after I'm gone. And so what does that look like to you? Like outside of knowing that how do you know when you've achieved it let me ask you that what does that look like when i can go to a department and do an audit and ask them what their system looks like and i don't have to go like when i'm not like knocking my head <laughs> the floor going, really you guys wait you don't have any anything a one to ten scale that says my calls today were really crappy so maybe my boss can check up on me and say you know you've had three days of child calls that you had to deal with Maybe we could, are you doing okay? Do you want to talk about it? I'm not in this space and I have no firsthand experience with it. And yet that sounds incredibly dangerous and ineffective and horrible. I, I know that people who are in like a crisis hotline or 911 or EMT situation, that they do it because of the fulfillment they get from it, that they're used to seeing the things that we as lay people would call crappy on a regular basis. But the idea of like, yeah, my calls kind of sucked. Like if they didn't, they wouldn't need you. Right. And so this just seems like um, a ridiculous scale to be able to, to hold people by. Um, which brings me to my next question directly related to you and 
the way that you organize your time and your life and all of the balls that you have in the air. So what type of resources do you use to make sure that you are staying on track with your ultimate end goal of success? Mm, this is a very important question. Okay. Therapists who don't have therapists aren't good therapists. Coaches who don't have coaches aren't good coaches. If you do not have a team behind you, and that's not just a professional team. One of the one of the healing aspects that we talk about is creating your circle, is creating a support system around you. You cannot do this work. You can't take on the pain and suffering of others if you are not able to ground yourself, if you are not supported around you. So I have I have I have family, I have friends, I have professionals, I have peers, I have, you know, of course, I'm still in my education. So, so I have superiors that I'm accountable to. So I, no matter what happens, I have someone to go to, to say, you know, this happened and I'm not sure, you know, what I should have done or could I have done something better? Um, or I can just go and cry and say, you know, I had a really rough day and I just need to get some of this energy out because that's what emotions are. And when we repress them the way that first responders tend to be taught to repress them, when we do that, they eat us up inside and we get sick and we get tired and we get burnt out and we can't go on. So I plan to have a very long and successful, healthy career. So I'm very well supported. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said this because I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day and I was like, when I, when I start to work with a coach, the first question I ask them is what's your relationship like your, with your coach? And they said, well, that's stupid because not every coach needs a coach. And I'm like, that's where we disagree. And they're like, well, why would you hire somebody to teach you if that person still needs to be taught? And I'm like, because that person always needs to be taught, right? Like, how is somebody supposed to tell me that self-improvement and business improvement and knowledge is a forever journey, but they don't need it anymore? Like, that doesn't work for me, right? So I, I absolutely love that you said that. Um, similar to you, I have had five coaches that I actively work with now. And then the peers and mentors and, and all of that. So I agree with you that it's so important. Do you have a, a morning routine practice that you use on a regular basis that sets you up for your day? I have a lot of morning practices and I just pick the one that, that seems to be the best for the day that I have planned. So um, no matter how much people hate it and no matter how much people don't like to do it, I am a writer. I love to journal. Words are one of my ways to express myself. So for me, journaling is amazing. I understand most of my clients hate journaling and that's okay. So if you're not a journaling person, I also have days when I don't feel like journaling and the words just won't come that I'll do a, a really simple NLP exercise of, you know, what does my perfect day look like? So I'll just kind of visualize, let that play out in my mind. What are some things that would show me that my day was perfect? And what does that look like? So experiencing it, being in the moment, letting all of my senses get engaged and fully participating in that sensory experience of, of what my perfect day looks like. That's an excellent way to start your day. Um, some days it's just 
going through my list. If it's a if it's a rest day and I don't have a lot going on and I know I'm going to be really nurturing to myself, I might start my day just making a to-do list. So there is always something, but it's not always the same something, except make your bed. Make your bed every morning. Um, and do you set out um, a particular period of time that you do whatever you're going to do in the morning? Or do you wake up and kind of decide in the moment how much time you need? I am such an in the moment person. I very <laughs> much go with the flow. It's like, what feels good right now? What feels productive right now? Because if I set a timer for a half an hour and like I'm productive for five minutes, what's the point of wasting another 25 minutes? So, And then I'm really interested in bookends of days. This is something that um, I didn't really know what I, what it was called. I just knew I did it. And then somebody was like, yeah, you put a bookend on your day. And I'm like, whoa, like I never thought about that. So what does the end of your day look like? Like, how do you tell your mind that it's done? I love, love gratitude in the evening. I really think one of the best ways to end our day, and we have a natural tendency to be negative. So our natural tendency before we go to bed is to sit down and go, well, these are the things that didn't work. These are the things I didn't get done. These are the things that, oh crap, you know, I had this really bad experience. I don't like this person. Or we're on our stupid Facebook looking at everyone's drama um, so, trying to make ourselves feel better about our own. Right. So the best, the best way to end your day, if you really want to have a good morning the next day is about an hour before bed, plan your day for the next day. If you, if you like a really quick list and I tell people only like three to five things on your list. So this is not your like real item. Yeah. This is just a, these are the things that I want to have on the top of my head for tomorrow. Um, this, 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 and this, just a couple things. And then that last 15, 20 minutes, when you're just kind of, you're in your jammies, you brush your teeth, you're, you're just like laying there ready to go to bed. That is when your unconscious mind, subconscious mind, whatever terminology y'all want to use, that is when you're most in access with the deepest parts of yourself, the parts of yourself that actually are in charge of how successful you are in a lot of things. So in those moments where you're in touch with your entire being, give yourself those positive feedbacks. Give yourself good directions in your Google bar. So get your brain focused on what you want, not what you don't want. Focused on what you're doing well, not what you're failing at. And what you want to achieve, that big picture of what does my life look like when everything falls into place. Because the more you can get that into your unconscious, subconscious, the deeper part of yourself, the easier it's going to be to see all the opportunities that are available to you and to take the right action because action is the key piece to get yourself there. I love it. I love it. All right. So before we wrap up, I would love to do a quick random round with you and ask you a couple of quick questions. Are you okay with that? <laughs> sure. All right. If you could have any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? I think I'd still like to be a medical examiner or a homicide detective. That sounds really interesting, actually. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Probably way into the future, just to see if we're still here. 
<laughs> There's the positive thinking that you talked about so much. Um, if you could have a conversation with anybody, what would it, who would it be? Mm. Living or dead? My dad. Mm. Yeah, I feel that that one touches me to the soul. Um, books. I'm a huge believer that we learn from other people's experiences and knowledge. What book do you think that every business owner or entrepreneur needs to read along their journey? Ooh, everyone is so different in what resonates with them. Um, you know, I'm going to answer this in a really weird way. I think everyone needs to understand psychology and neuroscience just a tiny bit. So any textbook that, that you can get your hands on, having that foundation really helps you understand other people and the way that your thinking is working um, and it can change your world. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the my world started to change when I got NLP certified and started to understand the way the mind works. I mean, it started to change before that, but now I know why it started to change and then how you can recreate it. Um, my last question, and this is purely selfish because I am a music nerd. What's your pump up song? What do you put on when you just have to have a good day? Uh, again, I'm super diverse. I love heavy metal. Okay. Which is, seems really strange probably, but I also love like the- cute No, I totally would have guessed. <laughs> So I go into those places where all the emo kids go, um, Panic at the Disco. Yeah, see, Panic at the Disco I can do. I don't think that's heavy metal. No, that's not heavy metal. Okay, cool. I'm like, you and I have different definitions of heavy metal, my dear. No, 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 no. No, that was a side note that like I go from I love heavy metal to like- Got it. You know, Erasure, Depeche Mode, The Cure, uh, Totally Spectrums. musicals. Yeah. All right. (laughs) My last and final question. You have one thing to say to your former self. What do you wish that you knew before you started down this journey of 501c3 business owner, entrepreneur, whatever you call yourself? Mm, This is the thing that I would say to everyone. And if I could actually say it in a way that would touch your soul and give you the power to believe it, it could be everything. For me, it was specifically, you're not smart enough to go to college. But for all of us, it really comes down to, you are enough. You can create whatever you want. You are capable, you are worthy, and you just have to do the work. That's awesome. Krista, thank you so much for coming on with me. I really appreciate it. And it has been so amazing to get to know you a little bit, learn about your foundation and be able to learn how we can support you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's sounds like something that you're interested in the name of that facebook group is success center head over there request to join and i look forward to connecting with you soon